And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday as we get through hump day. Of course, heading into the end of the week already. So, uh, you know, just rapidly approaching Christmas here. I mean, it's just going to be literally here before you know it. So, you know, just... If it's if you haven't shopped yet, just give it up here at this point. <laughs> you're you're not, you know, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, but you know that's you know this is kind of the hope here that there's going to be a lot of shopping here right here over the last couple of weeks before Christmas sets in, and this is going to be the kind of the last hope for retailers. Everybody looking forward to uh, increased retail sales. That's going to hopefully help help the markets as well as some of the economic data as well. Of course, economic data looking pretty strong right now. Um, we're having a bit of a, a pickup in the fourth quarter of the economy after a kind of a weak third quarter. Not surprising, get a little bit of bounce activity uh, as we go into the end of the year. Of course, big shopping time of the year, uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I mean, so all those are going to kind of help some of the economic activity. Um, but of course, with all that, inflation is still going up. Employment cost index yesterday, that's uh, what, what employers are paying for wages and those type of things. That continues to rise fairly sharply, and that's an inflationary pressure on companies. So as you know, we start looking at next year, as we get into 2022, and talking about valuations and earnings and, and what's going on with companies, you know, they're paying out more and more money in terms of wages in order to attract and keep employees right now. And that that's, you know, part of the game that goes on with this kind of this reopening of the economy. Now, that's not going to last forever. Wages will start to stagnate and decline eventually. But that is going to be a problem in the short term for a lot of these companies, uh, particularly in the smaller and mid cap space that can't pass on those earnings, uh, those, uh, sorry, those increase in costs to their customers. Uh, and that's part of that inflation problem that starts to eat into profit margins. And if you noticed here lately, I mean, there's been quite a few companies that have been reporting earnings. And a lot of these are in these kind of the, the meme stock space. A lot of these companies that, you know, a lot of investors have been chasing. They've had great returns over the last year have gotten, you know, pretty handily beaten up here over the last uh, couple of weeks in particular as they reported earnings and, and the earnings were good, right? They beat earnings estimates. That was fine. But their guidance was very weak. Looking ahead into next year, softer expectations, softer growth, those type of things. And that's really hurt some of these companies as of late. But, you know, yesterday we saw a lot of those companies rally back sharply. Again, as we talked about yesterday in particular, and, you know, really looking at this idea of, of kind of where the markets are. We talked about the fact this market was in this very defined downtrend and that a breakout of that downtrend would lead to a pretty sharp reflection in the markets. And that's really what happened yesterday. We, we had this, uh, you know, kind of a rally on Monday that got us just a little bit above that downtrend. And then yesterday, man, just really exploded out of it. We started out early in the morning, kind of built on that early morning, then kind of flatlined most of the day. Actually, uh, heading into the end of the day, um, really not much happened. A little bit of selling right at the end of the day. But, you know, we had this very nice recovery yesterday, and that was a lot of the short covering uh, that had happened. And again, as we saw the markets decline here previously over the last you know week or so, 
Um, a lot of shorts got built up. So yesterday, that rally caused a lot of that short covering uh, to cover. And we saw this really kind of exist along a lot of these stocks that have been beaten up heavily lately. You know, Asana yesterday rallied like 14%. We saw DocuSign rally nicely yesterday. You know, so again, these stocks have been beaten up. They're down 20, 30, 40% from their peak but they had very nice rallies yesterday. So uh, again, that's just not surprising. You're still seeing that speculative activity where investors say, I wanna buy what worked for, you know, that worked for me before, it should work for me again. See them kind of chasing the same stocks. Also, you know, a lot of people got trapped into these declines. And so that's gonna be another bit of selling pressure likely to come up here over the next week or so. As we see this recovery, this, this bounce kind of continue, a lot of these people that got caught into these stocks that got beaten up very badly will be looking for an exit. So again, the selling's not likely over here. We've still got a little bit more to go, but there's, you know, we're, we're setting up nicely for the end of the year because again, our, our sell signals are extremely oversold at this point. So they're starting to improve. They should see a turn up here over the next couple of days back into buy signals. And, and that's going to set us up nicely for that end of December, first week of January rally that we've been talking about here lately. I would certainly expect that to happen in this case. Markets are a little bit overbought here very short term because of this big rally that we've had over the last two days. That's pushed markets back up and overbought. So again, don't be surprised if we see a little bit of sloppiness over the next couple of days into next week. Uh, and then another push into the end of the year that kind of aligns with what we've been talking about lately, uh, year end. Uh, window dressing for mutual funds, etc. So again, this, you know, over the next few days, there's not a lot to worry about here, but don't be surprised if you see a little bit of sloppiness here in terms of trading. Um, markets are looking to open up a little bit this morning. Again, uh, Dow's up about 127 points, S&P's up 13, not surprising. Get a little bit of follow through from yesterday. That's actually a good sign. That's actually bullish. So again, just kind of keep a watch on where your exposures are. We've had a really good year this year, so don't mess it up. It's just three weeks left of the year. Got to keep it all together. A um, couple other things, then we're going to get into a, a few topics today. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. We're going to talk about 29 tips with uh, your money uh, that maybe you should be paying so much attention to. You know, there's, there's lots of good advice out there. There's lots of not so good advice. We'll go through some of those today. Um, but real quick, just to kind of uh, from from uh, going into next week uh, in particular, there's a, a couple of things that are going on. The Federal Reserve is going to be meeting next week. It's their last meeting of the year. One of the big concerns, of course, is inflation. And we're, you know, we're seeing these, these levels of inflation. In fact, we're going to see CPI this week, and that's expected to rise a little bit more. Used cars have been moving back up again. House prices are still high. So that's all kind of feeding into that inflationary input. Uh, so the question's really going to be, and this has been one of the things that the markets ignored now over the last week or so, is this really the risk of inflation and is the Fed going to move faster in terms of tightening uh, policy, in terms of hiking interest rates and tapering their balance sheet? Um, initially, those moves don't mean a whole lot. So when the Fed starts to taper their balance sheet, markets really don't respond all that much at, at the beginning. Uh, even when they start hiking rates, uh, markets tend to do okay, even at the early stages of hiking rates. The problem and the thing you need to be aware of is that there is always a point where they've hiked rates to where the markets don't like it. And that's where you start getting, you know, big declines in markets. You get big reversions. You get uh, economic recessions, those type of things. And that, that data goes all the way back to 1980 when the Fed started becoming much more active with interest rate policy. So, 
Again, it's not the, and you'll see a lot of articles here lately, it's like, oh, don't worry about the Fed hiking rates. Doesn't matter in the beginning. That's true. The question is, is when does it matter? And you don't know what level that is. Is it one and a half percent of rate hikes? Is it 2% of rate hikes? Is it two and a half percent? How far do they have to hike rates before something breaks in the financial market? Whether it's leverage or debt or credit or whatever it is, there's a point to where interest rates matter. We just don't know where exactly that point is, but every point in history, it has always mattered. So again, listen to what the Fed's saying. And once we kind of start getting that timeline put into place, we'll have a better idea about how to manage risk as we get into 2022. Okay, we'll come back from the break, pick up with Danny Ratliff, 29 things uh, that maybe you don't want to do with your money. <laughs> we'll talk about all that and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Happy Wednesday to you. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next Virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our Virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Russ Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning to talk about, well, things you maybe shouldn't really do with your money. And, you know, it's amazing what you get from these financial gurus, uh, Susie Orman, um, Dave Ramsey, others. You know, they're, they're you know, Dave Ramsey is, is examples, a great great guy when it comes to getting out of debt, getting your finances straightened out. Terrible financial advice. Um, Susie Orman, talks a good game. Terrible financial advice <laughs> in a lot of cases. But I mean, you know, some of the basic stuff about, you know, saving money, paying off bills, that's that's great advice for everyone. But when you're actually managing money and, and investing capital long term, there's some 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 things you should do and some things you should not do. And it's amazing how much bad advice gets put out there because, you know, it's what sells product in a lot of cases. And, you know, that's the the important thing to separate when, as we, again, as we've talked about with Wall Street in particular, Wall Street is always bullish. Next year, if you and we wrote an article about this yesterday uh, on the website, but look out in the next year, every, every Wall Street firm is bullish about next year. We're going to be at 5,100, 5,500, whatever the number is for next year on the S&P. Sounds great. It's very optimistic, very bullish. Why? Because it sells you products, right? You, you, you're buying ETFs, you're buying mutual funds, you're buying stocks. Who issues those stocks? Who issues those ETFs? Who gets paid when you buy or sell those things? Well, that's Wall Street. So what Wall Street doesn't get paid for is when you're sitting in cash. So there's always a reason to be bullish because it keeps you invested. There's an old saying that says money in motion creates fees. And that's why, you know, one of the, the, the important things that you'll see in the financial advisory community, and it's one of the things I hate the most is 
when you go talk to financial advisors, like, oh, that advisor is terrible. You need to do this, this, that, and the other thing. You need to move out. You need to move all your money over here because that creates fees. Money in motion creates fees, and so it's always important to remember. Make sure you're doing the right thing with your money for the right reasons. And look, there's some times that being all in cash is actually not a bad thing, right? Not right now, but never, you know, never discount this idea. You know, the media tells you, oh, if you're in cash, you're losing money. Yeah, if you sit in cash for 20 years, bury it in your backyard, you will lose money to inflation. Sitting in cash for a couple of months or a couple of three months where you're waiting for, you know, an opportunity to invest in a better position. That's a different that's a different idea. Investing is about buying opportunity. And there's not always opportunity available. So, Danny, good morning. Well, good morning. But speak, speaking of money in motion, I think it's really important for people to understand that working with a fiduciary, especially in the financial industry now, this day and age, I think is really, really important. Because mm -hmm. that money in motion is a little bit different in that, in that aspect. Because when things are done and changes are made, it's going to be done with your best interest at, at heart. And if you're working with a true fiduciary, you're not going to be they're not going to be concerned about transaction fees commissions things of that nature so it could be just to better manage a portfolio mm -hmm. it could be to mitigate risk to to take on it maybe additional risk at certain times so you need to take that with a grain of salt in some ways too yeah because there is a lot of you know a lot of the industry yeah that's right you're going to move something and it's going to completely change and there's going to be commissions and sales charges and all these things that add up but there are times when that's just not the case too right well, and again, and, and again, some of that's changed now. Yeah. Um, it, it's because you know there's no commission on trades, but but it depends who you're working with. But yeah. Well, but but even even with that, you've got to be careful because they say, well, you know, we have commission free trading. It's not free. You're still paying for it. It's just you're paying for it in a different way. And again, you know, with Robinhood was a good example of this. You know, they got tagged for it, actually got fined for it because they were selling all their order flow to Citadel, and Citadel was basically front running all the trades. So Wall Street always makes money off of you. It may not come out of your pocket directly, but you're still paying for it. And and free and, and free is never free. There's always a cost. It just depends on how you pay that cost. But you know, you know, it, just the important things to to remember is just you know always remember that when you're when you're moving money or, or making changes, just make sure you're doing it for the right reason for you and not for the right reason for somebody else. Yeah, if Robin Hood were free, they wouldn't have gone public, right? <laughs> I mean, somebody's making money off this one way or another. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of backwards, Robin Hood. <laughs> democracy for all for investing. <laughs> exactly. But we it's really more for us than it is for you, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, well, look, you you got a list here of twenty nine tips uh, for your money, and I thought this was in interesting. We'll we'll leave the guy who wrote this his name anonymous, yeah. but. You know, we, we come across stuff all the time, Lance, and, and sometimes clients send it to us or, or people who listen to the show and they're like, hey, check this out. What do you think about it? Yeah. And this is one I just came across. I thought, man, there's some really good points in here, but there's also some that are just, I mean, you, you talked about, um, you know, Dave Ramsey earlier. Mm -hmm. and Dave Ramsey's the perfect example. Really great. It's kind of like riding the bike. You're riding the bike with training wheels. You're learning the basics of investing, saving, putting funds aside getting out of debt. But at some point, you have to take a step further, take those training wheels off so you can really fly, right? Mm -hmm. And so same thing goes with some of these things. Some of them are just so conservative in nature that, that one, they either make no sense or they're just they're just plain wrong. I mean, there are some of these things that, I mean, are just completely <laughs> backwards. 
And well, there is a point where people graduate, and as yeah. you know, finances get more sophisticated, so does life, and so do the things in the access to different tools to protect you and help grow. And you know, one of the big things we always talk about is keeping money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, either protecting them from uh, downturns in the market, protecting them from Uncle Sam for taxes. And this is a big thing. And so some of these things just go completely against that. Well, and I, I want to just jump on number two real quick as a good example, because it's diversify your investments. And, you know, this we see this a lot in, in, you know, from the financial advisory community. And the reason they say, oh, diversify your assets, just put it to a broad basket of index funds is because they don't know how to manage money. And what I mean by that is, is that it doesn't take a lot of work to understand that if you've had a broadly diversified portfolio of assets over the last 10 years, you've vastly underperformed the market because emerging markets, international markets have, have all underperformed domestic markets. So you've been much better uh, invested just being in the domestic basket of, of stocks versus this international diversified stock basket of stocks, right? So, you know, diversification is fine as long as diversification is working. And but over the last 11, 12 years, it's actually been a boat anchor for your returns. And so but again, this is because it requires work to manage money and, you know, it, it requires work to be a portfolio. manager. You got to actually do research and actually have to do the work. You can't just slap stuff in it and go off to, you know, sit on your boat or whatever you're doing and playing, you know, playing golf. You know, I always love this is like, you know, how do, how do you meet all your clients? Well, I play golf. It's like, well, when do you, when do you like working on their book? Right? You're not though. That's the problem, right? <laughs> you know, you know, managing money requires a lot of work. You know, we, we spend a lot of time managing portfolios, but you know, the, the idea though is, is that when you're investing capital, your capital in particular, you have to do the analysis to figure out what's working. And sometimes diversification works. Sometimes it doesn't. In the last decade, it hasn't worked. Well, the other aspect of that is, you know, another one of the tips was periodically reinvest or rebalance your mm-hmm. portfolio, which is great if you're going to be on autopilot and on the golf course and never have to sweat it. So think about this. There's a lot of people out there right now who probably nobody's touched a portfolio. It automatically rebalances once a quarter, every six months or once a year. And that's about it. There may be a change in there. Can, can I tell you why so you should? Let me, okay. So, the, and, and I agree. Yeah. But let me tell you why you should never, pour, let, let me tell you why you should never rebalance your portfolio. Well, that's exactly where we're going to go. Right. Perfect. Right. What does that mean when you, when you rebalance a portfolio, right? It means that you sell your winners that have done great mm. to buy your losers that have done terrible. That's not what you want to do with the portfolio. When you manage money, what you want to do, look, there are some basic rules. You, if you look at any great investor throughout history, they all have some rules they follow. One is to take profits, right? That's buy low, sell high, right? So that's, that, that's their number one rule. Every one of them has another rule. Sell your losers and laggards. Because if it's not working, it's not working. So don't hold it in your portfolio. So when you do this, re- port, you know, this rebalancing, and let's go back to a diversified portfolio. So over the last decade, I've had this diversified portfolio of domestic stocks and international stocks. International has not been working. It's been underperforming. Domestic stocks have been doing great. So what have I done over the last decade? I kept selling my winners to buy my losers and continue that drag in my portfolio. But again, for advisors that are just playing a lot of golf, portfolio rebalancing is great because you know they don't have to work at it. It's just you know, we have all these automated systems now where it's just, hey, rebalance it once a quarter. It's great. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You're fine. But you're selling your winners to buy your losers. When everybody's seen that scatter chart of all the different asset classes, and typically your lower performers do outperform 
you know, if they have a really bad year the next year, a couple years later, they typically do pretty well. So that's kind of the thought behind it. But it also goes back to the modern portfolio theory discussion right. that we've always had. And that's the frustrating part is that just because something, you know, oh, wait, this is going to be really easy. We're going to make sure we're buying things while they're cheap. Well, sometimes they're just cheap for a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we want to stay away from that area. And this is why we, you know, if we don't, if we think there's an area that we don't like, we want to eliminate that altogether. And then we may circle back to that. We can always yeah. come back. You know, that's one thing I think that's always interesting. People, you know, we we send out uh, kind of surveys from time to time. Okay, if you owned a position um, and it went down, would you ever buy it again? And most people say no. Right. They say, heck no, I'm never going back there. That, that company burned me. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, you know those people? You know what happened here? I mean, they, they I specifically They specifically targeted you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but people feel that way. Yeah. No, they do. And uh, this has been one of the interesting things is is over time with people managing their own own portfolios. Like they, they buy a stock, they lose money in it, and then they don't want to sell it because they figure if they sell it, they can never buy it again. They're in the they're in the you know, I sold ExxonMobil and now I'm in I got kicked out of the ExxonMobil club. I can't ever buy it back. Yeah, that's not true. Um, you know, there's nobody paying attention to what you're doing, but it's important that when something's not working, it means you bought it wrong. It was overvalued when you bought it. You made a mistake. You were wrong buying it. So sell it, move on. And then when it does start to perform better, guess what? You go buy it back and then you make some money with it. But, you know, just writing it down and writing it back up is fine. But getting back to even is not really making money well you know, always equate that like if you're you're on a long road trip your car breaks down what are you going to do you're going to wait for it to to get better no i'm going to light it on fire and go buy another car i'm not ever going to buy that car again that brand that's <laughs> that's done it burned me so but but that's but that's the point is that you know you can always get out now one thing if you are going to sell a loser make sure you do wait that 30 days so you don't have a disallowed loss um you know we talk about tax loss harvesting things like that right now certainly things you can do uh, but just be mindful of how you do it and make sure you take advantage of every opportunity you have. Absolutely. Well, more of these uh, tips of things you shouldn't do with your money coming up after the break, like getting a big giant mortgage for 30 years. Talk about that. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next Virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our Virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So uh, Danny and I just uh, visiting here a few minutes. Danny Ratliff, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, talking about 29 tips for your money. It's uh, Again, we, we see these tips a lot. But just We're not going to go through all 29, by the way. Just there's too many of them. And some look, some of these are good, right? Uh, ignore the news and the media. Good advice. Um, maintain a long-term focus with your investments. Good advice. Uh, keep your investment costs low. That's good advice. So, I mean, they're not all terrible. Well, hold on, though. They say keep your investment costs low, but then they also have 
another one that says I've got there yet, but okay. Invest only in in mutual funds or ETFs. Right. <laughs> and so, I'm okay with ETFs, right? Cost. Yeah, yeah it's cost. But, but if you want to be at right, so what's our goal of investing? Is it to be average? Right. Oh. So if you invest in ETFs and mutual funds, you are guaranteeing yourself that you will be an average and you'll get average returns, right? You'll get average returns over time. But what do we hear about on television all the time, right? Is how to get rich and you know, everybody wants to be rich investing, right? This is why we invest. Yeah. And they go, Well, if you had just invested a dollar into Apple in nineteen seventy six before it even was formed and went public, you'd have a hundred million dollars now, right? You hear about Warren Buffett. Right. He bought this little company in, in 1965 and now he's worth billions. You know, you're not going to get there investing in mutual funds and ETFs. You'll get average returns over time. And guess what? You will also suffer bear market losses. And that, this is another, you know, kind of a, a big problem. Let me ask you a simple question. Now, Danny can help me with this real quick. But if you go look at surveys across America, right? 80% of people out there have less than $500 in the bank. Take a look at the number of people that have a 401k plan. Out of all the workers in America, half the people have access to a 401k plan. Only half of those actually contribute to their 401k plan. And what's the average balance? It's about one year salary, about $65,000. Now, we hear about the 401k millionaires, right? And, and it was like last year, Fidelity had 173,000 brand new 401k millionaires. Awesome. It's 1% of the people that contribute to a 401k plan, top 1%, right? So here's the question. If investing in mutual funds and ETFs was so easy, why is it that everybody's so broke? And that's because of bear markets and what happens to money over time. And, you know, it's great to be in a bull market, but you have to remember that for every bull market, there's a bear market and that has serious impacts to capital over time. And so be average and you'll get average returns. And that's what you'll get with stocks and ETFs. Again, nothing wrong with it. We run an ETF portfolio, but we run an actively managed ETF portfolio. So we buy and sell. We reallocate, rebalance. We do all these type of things to make sure we're generating returns in excess of our benchmark. The goal is to be better than average. But being average isn't always the best way thing to do for your money. So, yeah, avoid individual stocks if you don't want to make a lot of money. Well, I, th I think we could look even this year for us. You know, we, we manage a portfolio that is primarily ETFs. It mm -hmm. may have a stock or two. And then we have another one that's uh, you know has an emphasis on individual equities that may have an ETF or two, right? Right. And this year, the stock portfolio has outperformed the ETF portfolio. Now, right. it, with very similar allocations. Right. Now, many times they're going to be pretty close in, in returns, mm -hmm. a little bit here and there. Uh, but you know, it's it's been a it's been a good year. Right. So it gives you a little bit more opportunity. Plus, there's no internal cost inside those stocks. That's right. Which is something. And especially now, there's no trading cost either. Yeah. Well, other than the fact you're paying Citadel for the the, the privilege of having free trades. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no cost. But, you know, you did mention something on, on rebalancing. So yeah. we talked about that last segment. Talk a little bit about why, you know, rebalancing is okay, but how you would do it differently than just your automatic setup, you know, once a quarter, well, you know, look when, when when we talk about rebalancing, for example, we just so you know we just did this in early November, right? So in early November, we started talking about, you know, hey, the market's very overbought here. We typically have a correction in the first couple of weeks of December, so we want to reduce some risk. So how do we reduce risk? Well, we rebalance our portfolio. What does that mean? Well, that means that we're taking our our positions that have grown outside of their risk tolerance band, right? So we say. Uh, and by the way, this is a very important thing. If you're going to invest in anything, right, stocks, mutual funds, individual, you know, ETFs, whatever, 
every position, and, and this is every great trader throughout history, will tell you the same thing. You have to risk size your position. What does that mean? It means that you should not invest more into any one investment than you're willing to lose that much money in your portfolio. So again, if you have 40% of your portfolio, this is what we call a concentrated position. We see this a lot in 401k plans. People have 30, 40% of their 401k plan in a single stock. The problem is, is that if that stock has a massive correction, you lose a lot of your 401k plan. And we've seen this happen repeatedly over time. Enron, WorldCom, Lucent. I mean, the, the, the list of companies that have gone bankrupt and wiped out 401k plans is enormous. So, you know, a position in our portfolio can never be more than 5% of the entire portfolio. If we lose, if the, if the entire position wakes up tomorrow, and it's bankrupt. We've lost 5% of our portfolio. It's recoverable. 40% is not. So... We risk manage that. So if a stock grows outside of that risk tolerance band, and also that risk that risk band is also based on the volatility of the stock, how much risk we're taking with that stock. For instance, an NVIDIA might have a smaller position in our portfolio than something like a Procter & Gamble, which has much lower volatility. But when it grows outside that band, so let's say we've got a stock that's a 3% weight, it grows to 4 We trim it. When we rebalance, we trim it back to 3 Does that mean we go buy our losers? No. If we have a loser in the portfolio, it's either getting ready to get sold or reduced in the portfolio unless we can make a very strong fundamental long-term case that we're owning this and we're building into a position over time. And we do have some positions like that. CVS was one of our early positions we had in the healthcare sector. So when they first announced they were going to become more of a healthcare company, we started buying into that stock. It didn't perform well for a while. Wasn't hurting us tremendously, but it wasn't performing well. It's been performing great. We've been adding, building into that position over time. So rebalancing is a thing to do, but not the way that people tell you to do it, by selling your winners to buy your losers. It's trim back your winners, take profits, manage your losers accordingly. So it's not an automated deal where you just sit, sit it and forget it. No. It's something that needs to be much more thoughtful in nature. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the whole thing about investing is something that's more thoughtful in wait, nature. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were trying to get to the couch potato you know, portfolio. We just want to set it and forget it, right? Exactly. No, but that, that's, that's what a lot of these tips would, would make you believe and make you think that that's the right way to do things. And obviously, we, we've seen over the years that, you know, like you said, the erosion of capital is real. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult, especially if you're near retirement or in retirement, uh, taking distributions. You know, we've talked you know, over and over about the 4% rule, and we're seeing more and more studies coming out saying this isn't feasible. Right. You're not going to be able to do this, and you're going to you're going to be living on nothing at the end of the day because you're going to spend all your money. So, you know, you talked a little bit about the the big. Can can we can we jump to number ten real quick? Yeah, because it kind of fits into this. So, number ten is take advantage of dollar cost averaging. Don't do that. You never dollar cost averaging on the way up is okay, but you do not want a dollar cost average on the way down. And, you know, people go, one of the great sayings I always hear from people is like, well, if you loved, you know, Lucent, if you love Cisco at 80, you're going to love it at 20, right? Um, you know, no, that's, you destroy too much capital. On the way down, if you're investing a dollar, uh, say I've got a dollar invested in, in Procter & Gamble, and I keep buying on the way down. All I'm doing is all my new money I'm putting in, I'm destroying capital. And so it's always better, you know, when you dollar, when you take advantage of dollar cost averaging, do it this way. Call it, we call it lump sum averaging. Save all your money into cash, and when you see an opportunity to invest capital, do it all at once. In other words, you get a correction in the markets, like we were talking about in November, and in you know Friday we were buying, Monday we were buying, and so as this the, as this rebound was starting, we were putting capital we had saved up to work in the portfolio. So 
do it in lump sums, and that way you didn't destroy capital by reducing the value of that capital during a, a decline. So, yeah, well, there's just different ways to do to achieve the same goal. Well, that's a good point. We also talk about not making investment decisions based on taxes. I mean, how many times have we heard, no, 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 I, we can't sell this because I don't want to pay taxes. And then at the end of the day, yeah, you don't pay taxes, but you also don't have as much as you had. Right. Yeah. It's it's You pay no taxes on losers. Yeah. So if you don't want to pay any tax on your portfolio, turn all your portfolio into losers eventually. And that happens, right? I mean, uh, you know, l l give a good example, right? Uh, DocuSign has had a huge run over the last year, right? Yep. So it's up a couple hundred percent. People are saying, I don't want to sell it because I don't want to pay the taxes on it. Well, now it's 40% cheaper. So do you want to sell it now? Well, no, I don't want to sell it now because I'm losing money in it. Well, okay. You, but you can sell it now and pay no taxes. So, so, you know, and look, your capital gains tax is 20%. So who cares, right? You, you make, uh, out of every dollar you make, you keep 80 cents, pay the government what you owe them and grow your money, yeah. right? Uh, but yeah, we see this all the, I think this is one of the worst, you know, that's actually, this is actually a good piece of advice. Don't use, don't use taxes. But one of the worst financial decisions we see people make constantly is not doing something because they don't want to pay taxes. Correct. And I think, you know, we, we want to look at taxes and look at the big picture and say, okay, how can we keep more money in your pocket? Sometimes mm -hmm. it is by paying taxes, but also we have to be mindful of those oh. other things that we talk about. By the way, you can also sell stuff at a gain by selling your stuff that you're losing money in and taking the tax write-off. Yeah, offsetting. offsetting your gains and losses. Yeah, and so that's a big thing we're doing this time of year is looking for tax loss harvesting. Unfortunately, and we don't very and have maybe much. fortunately, there's not a whole lot of opportunity, not, <laughs> yeah. not a whole lot of losers to sell. But that's because we, we don't have a lot to sell now because we've trimmed them off during the year. Yeah. So we did, we actually, you know, look, yeah, so. nobody's perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, whenever you invest in something, you have stuff that doesn't work. We've had stuff that doesn't work, but we trim them off fairly short. We don't, we don't let them run away from us. So yeah, we, we've had, we don't have any losers now in the portfolio for the most part um, because they've been trimmed out along the way. Yeah. So you, you want to jump into the, yeah. the one we started segment with? Yes. I know. Sorry. I'll, I'd love to see Richard's face right about now. So get a big, long mortgage for 30 years and don't make extra payments. Yeah. And then when we go, let's, let's talk about that when we come back and why you should not convert your IRA to a Roth. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Richard just Richard Tip, Richard just blew a gasket. Tips I mean. for days. Yeah. yeah. He, he better get some blood pressure medicine. We may have to pick up on this next show too. <laughs> All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement's not what it used to be and long-term care could enhance your golden years the question is not whether you can afford it but whether you can afford not to have it our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join jonathan penn and chris liebham for the basics of long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care december 9th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
All right, so uh, some other quick tips that you probably should ignore. Um, one is, is get a big mortgage for 30 years and don't make extra payments. Love this one. Look, don't go get a mortgage just because interest rates are low. It's, you know, you're spending money on an asset. True, it's a house, but you're also buying a house at the peak of the market. Uh, if interest rates go up, the value of your house goes down eventually. Um, but also, too, I mean, you know, your house is what you live in, right? Unless you're, you know, buying rental properties for investment purposes, et cetera. But those should be done with cash, right? Uh, 20% down, leverage your balance, you know, do that properly. You'll, you'll make money. But just to get a, a, you know, get a big mortgage and sit on it for 30 years just because rates are cheap, that's an expense. you got taxes, you know, upkeep, maintenance. And really, when you look back at the value of the house, I, you know, Unless you just happen to buy it exactly right, like I bought a house in the two in, during two thousand eight crisis, sold it, and I made money. Right, Be, yeah. I really honestly made money after taxes, upkeep, maintenance, all that. I actually made money just because I bought it so cheap. But most of the time, if you live in a you buy a house and live in it for a while, add up all the taxes, the expense, the upkeep, everything else, you didn't make any money. Well, that's the thing that nobody typically does. Yeah. They typically just look at, hey, I bought it for two hundred, I sold it for two fifty. Yeah. They never thought about all the costs that went into it, all the things that you yeah. know. But it's called, it's, called an, it's called anchoring. Yeah. Right. We anchor to the price we paid for. We forget all the other stuff, right? But uh, yeah, that's that's not really great advice. The other one was, uh, uh, you know, and this is the one that y'all talk about a lot, of course, is not to convert an IRA to a Roth. Why? Why is that bad advice? Well, it's really bad advice because we think we're in an environment where taxes are potentially going to go up. Uh, number two, we also think that, and we know this for a fact, that most people don't retire in some substantially lower tax bracket. It happens from time to time, but that doesn't always happen. And so you get stuck with, you know, now we have a couple of other issues surrounding the, the traditional IRAs in the sense that you used to be able to, to pass this on. So a lot of people say, well, you know what? I'm not going to touch these funds. I'm going to pass them on to my kids. And it was great. They could... You know, you had to take your RMDs, your required minimum distributions once you reach 72, a uh, certain amount the IRS deems that you must take each year. But what happened now is that the kids used to be able to take these distributions over their lifetime. And so it wasn't as big of a, a potential tax burden on them either because they could spread that tax bill out. Whereas now, just as of last year, they came back and said, hey, you're going to have a 10-year window. And within that 10-year window, you're going to have to completely liquidate the account. You think about it when a lot of times when somebody passes, kids may be at their peak earnings years. So you actually, the money doesn't go nearly as far. So, you know, there's a couple of reasons for this, but obviously keeping more money in your pocket in an environment when we do have a lower tax code just makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not sure why we wouldn't look at this. Now, it's not for everybody. We run a lot of these analysis and we find that for a lot of people, it just doesn't make sense. They're making too much right now. They don't have the funds set aside to pay those out of pocket. There could be a number of reasons. Um, or maybe they will really be in a lower tax bracket. But, you know, I, I think to not at least you know, look at something like this, it's disingenuous to say, don't convert. I mean, right. how do we know? Yeah, Everybody's it's, different. It's, like, it's just like he says, you know, always take the lump sum option for your pension. That's not always a good piece of advice. A lot of the time, you know, a lot of time these pension funds, their rate of return on those pensions, which are guaranteed payments, it's a pension, right? You get a guaranteed payment from that, from that pension. You can't beat that with the market in a lot of cases. And, you know, you do a, a lifetime benefit with a survivor option to make sure your spouse is covered. A lot of times you can't beat that cash flow that's coming in by investing in the markets. It, it sounds like it sounds like an easy stick where I just, you know, take the lump sum, I invest it in stocks and I make more money. That is not the case over time. And particularly when you're in a down market, 
that lump sum payment, that uh, pension payment coming in is can be the difference between putting food on the table or not for a lot of people. Well, that's right. And so a lot of times we can't go out in the secondary market and purchase an annuity, which is essentially what a pension is, is it's a it's a lifetime in- income stream. And we can't go find something that's going to duplicate that. Yeah. Now, there are some issues with that, right? We need to look at the solvency of the company. Um, and people say, well, PBGC, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, that's great. They're broke. But yeah, they're basically <laughs> going to have somebody else buy it out and, and just kind of like FDIC. Yeah. And, and you get a hair. And by the way, when that happens, you get a haircut. Yeah. So those are things and reasons why a lot of people do take the lump sum. I mean, that's probably the more popular option. Yeah. But there are times we, when we run a plan, sometimes there it's very clear cut. Somebody may need that income. They don't have the other assets, and that's that's the best way to go. But not always, yeah. you know. So that's something you need to look at. Well, that's you know we we picked on this guy a lot. So let's uh, you know here's one he said that's actually true, right? Never mix politics and investing. I can't tell you how many people that I talk to is like, oh, I'm not investing in the markets because I don't like the president. And this look, this didn't ma- it doesn't matter what president it is. Yeah. I heard this under Biden, under Trump, under Obama, under Bush, <laughs> under Clinton. I mean, I've been around for a while. I hear this every time. I don't like this policy. I don't like this president. I don't like what he's doing. I don't like what's happening politically. It's the same under every president, but it has nothing to do with the stock market. You can miss out on a lot of gains in the markets by allowing politics to influence. Now, are politics important? Absolutely, right? It has a lot to do with capitalism, economic growth, those type of things. But there's not a direct correlation between presidents and markets in a lot of cases. And so don't, you know, it's it's a, it's, a, it's important to have strong political views. I've got no problem with that. Just don't let it affect your investment, investment views. And sometimes it's more long-term if we look at the policies that are actually mm-hmm. enacted. The, the repercussions don't necessarily come under their administration. It may come under the next one, and they're, they're yeah. the one fighting it. Yeah. And so sometimes it can be fairly counterintuitive. That's right. Um, uh, one thing is uh, I thought of here is like don't, uh, don't buy life insurance as an investment. Um, I really disagree with that one. Um, if I can buy something that generates tax-free growth, has tax-free distributions, it's protected from the IRS and grows at 4% a year compounded, whether I take money out of it or not, I'll do that investment all day long. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that, that if you look at Dave Ramsey, you look at most of these guys, uh, these big financial pundits, they're going to tell you never do this. And, and I know some people who are just, I mean, they have, they've drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And, and that's okay. But look, to mitigate risk, we want to use term life insurance. That's going to be your, your step number one. It's cheap. It's a lot easier to attain. And it's something that you know we can do for a very spe- specific period of time based on your actual needs. This is something that has, one, we can use for, for, for that purpose as well. It is more expensive. But two, we would like to use for growth. Mm-hmm. And as tax-free distributions, like you mentioned, that is really, really nice. And then when you get to be, you know, if net worth is really up there, you want to use this to mitigate taxes further on down the road from an estate planning perspective. And so there's lots of different uses for life insurance. And I think to say never to buy it is probably going just a tad bit too far. Yeah. But it is something that that's certainly a tool that a lot of families are utilizing. And if done properly, you know, done inside of a financial plan, you understand how and why you are using it. And you may have a combination of them. That I think is going to be, you know, th- there's a big, big advantage to that. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with this, this, this rule here. Don't lend money to family or friends unless you're willing to lose the money or them. Uh, that's exact. That, that is absolutely true. I don't manage money for my friends Yeah, um, because I want to keep my friends. Yeah. And, you know, I don't lend money to family because you, you don't lend money to family. You just give it to them. If they need money, you give it to them. Um, yeah. You know, or, or if you're going to give money to, you know, if you're if somebody says, hey, I'm in need, I need help. Can I borrow 50 bucks from you or whatever? 
give them $50 and say, God be with you, move on, have a great life. Don't worry about paying me back because honestly, all it does is just, it's too much angst. You'll be upset with people all the time. Just, you know, either don't, either don't give them money, just say, no, I can't, or give them the money and write it off and move on, you know, but you well, and you're going to have to set some rules around that as well, because, you know, Lord knows you give somebody money at Thanksgiving, Christmas time comes around, and then, you know, they're asking for more money. That's one of the things that's always difficult. You yeah. see what people do and how they spend it, because they may go out and go buy some fancy new sneakers and something else. And you're like, wait a second, I just gave this guy a bunch of money because he was hard well, up. Look, on- I, I'm going to give you a good example. We, we have a, a listener to our radio show. He's listened to our radio show for 30 years, probably, yep. ever since I've been on the radio show with Brent. He's listened. Ex-Marine, you know, great guy. And he called me, he emailed me and needed some surgery, needed a little bit of money for to meet his deductible, whatever. And I sent him the money. I said, don't worry about paying me back. Here's the money. That guy sends me like $25 a month. And he mails it to me, mails me a check, like $25 a month with a note. Thank you so much. I'm going to pay you back. You know, eventually I'll get there. That's awesome. But and but again, I, t- I keep telling him, it's like, <laughs> it's like, don't worry about paying me back. It's fine. But it's just that's the way he is, and you know he's going to pay me back, you know, come hell or high water. Now I've got other people I've given money to, and they're like, you know, I'll pay you back, and then you never see. It's like your neighbor that borrows your tools. Yeah, yeah, just write those off too. Just go buy another one. (laughs) Oh yeah, anyway, true, very true. Yeah, just if you want to keep friends. Money and friends don't mix. Uh, last one, because we got about uh, a minute here, um, <laughs> is maintain at least 24 months of spending cash uh, depending on the stability of your income. Yeah. 24 months seems like a lot. That's two years worth of cash. Well, it, it, I'm not saying that's a bad rule. Yeah. I'm just, it seems like a, a bit a bit much. So, so most people will hold between three and, and 24 months, give or take. And we always, we're a little bit more on the conservative side, especially, you know, Richard and I've talked about the financial vulner- mm-hmm. vulnerability cushion prior to the pandemic, just because markets were expensive. We thought that we could see some, some rough times ahead. And I think that really helped a lot of people, you know, having that above, above and beyond funds where, okay, you lose your job, you have the funds to pay for bills, you're, you're normal, just keeping a roof over your head. But then what happens when the AC goes out, your car breaks down? Because we know that all happens at once for some reason. And so having that additional cushion, I think is good. But I think one of the bigger things is knowing what does your income look like? If you're a tenured professor, you're, you're going to always be paid. Yeah. So that's somebody who probably doesn't need as big of an emergency fund. Whereas if you're somebody who lives on commission, you, your industry is up and down quite a bit. I'd probably want to have a little bit more. And you know what your household yeah. looks like. If you have both spouses working versus just one, a lot of additional expenses. These are all things to be considered. So lots of, uh, lots of things to take into consideration. And, of course, number 29 I thought was spot on. It says, listen to The Real Investment Show for more advice and money tips that are good for you and your money. Absolutely. And get by the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. That is realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog posts are up today. Michael Leibowitz's uh, new post is up, uh, along with all of our articles talking about outlooks and markets for this year. It's all on the website, along with our newsletter. And sign up for our daily commentary as well. Tons of stuff there to help you keep up with, with, with the markets, what's going on, keep you more apprised of, of kind of what we're doing as we go into the end of the year. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And we'll see you on uh, tomorrow's edition of the show. See you then, realinvestmentadvice.com. Always on the head, and the rich man's world.